Hi there, parents. I am Megan Thompson, and if you are struggling with parenting a sensitive preteen, today we're going to cover the number one factor that you need to take into account when your sensitive child who is struggling in the meltdown cycle seems stuck and is between the ages of eight and 13. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. One thing that I know for parents of sensitive kids who are stuck in the meltdown cycle, your kid could be yelling, hitting, kicking, screaming, losing it, generally irritable on a daily basis or multiple times a day, is that most times, by the time your child hits the age of eight or or a little older, uh, if your child is struggling at this level, you might start to waver between feeling like your kid should be over this by now and wondering if it's early onset puberty. So we're going to be covering all of that today so that you understand what's developmentally appropriate, what's not, and what are symptoms of the meltdown cycle. And then the number one factor that you need to take into account when you're parenting a sensitive preteen who is stuck in the meltdown cycle so that you can break out of it. All right, so I am going to uh, keep this show short because we're only speaking about one key piece today so that you have the ability to really ponder that and move forward. All right, so one thing that I know is that for an eight-year-old, if you're stuck watching your child struggle with verbal aggression, and maybe you've experienced your child exhibit physical aggression when they were younger, you might be wondering whether or not your child is eventually going to grow out of these big behaviors. And I want to speak about this because if your child is yelling more often rather than hitting, and they used to hit, they used to have massive knockdown, drag out meltdowns, their body was on the floor, they were destroying behavior, they were destroying property, excuse me, exhibiting aggressive behavior, then you might feel like you're out of the woods at this point, um, and you might feel like the, the behavior is getting better. And I want to notice and invite you to wonder whether or not this is more of a whack-a-mole experience rather than the behavior getting better. And we're gonna be talking about this at this point. So sensitive kids who are stuck in the meltdown cycle, whether their meltdowns are verbal or physical, are typically engaged in intense uh, negative emotion plus negative behaviors on a daily, multiple times a day basis, or multiple times a week basis. That That is a key indicator that a child is generally unhappy, even if they are Uh, doing well in some part of their life. So what do I mean by that? Uh, Your child might be thriving or perceived to be thriving in school. Uh, They might be engaged in lots of activities and you only see this behavior at home or your your kids' teachers might demonstrate or report that this behavior is only happening in school 
and uh, in general, you're able to manage your child's emotions without a fight or a meltdown or both. And so you're wondering if this is just a phase because it's only happening in one avenue of their life. What's important to understand is that generally sensitive kids are usually quite intelligent. Uh, they're intelligent emotionally, which is why their emotions are so big. However, if they're missing skills, their behaviors will also be big as well. Uh, so we know that sensitive children are emotionally usually gifted. Um, and I don't wanna go down the rabbit hole of the actual academic sense of the word gifted, but it is definitely a superpower. It is definitely a gift or um, a strength for a child to be experiencing and noticing other people's big emotions and uh, to be that in tune and that self-aware. Now, sensitive children are not um, skillful if their behaviors are not developmentally appropriate. So uh, yelling, things like, um, I hate you, you're the worst mom ever, life would be better off without me, um, you, you don't understand me, you'll never understand me, or threatening themselves or others or engaging in physical uh, aggression. None of that behavior is developmentally appropriate over the age of two. Physical aggression is not developmentally appropriate regularly over the age of two. We wanna see kids moving out of physical aggression uh, entirely by the time they're six. We don't wanna see any physical aggression by the time the child is six. And we would look for hitting to be happening on a monthly basis for a five-year-old. Anything more than that, more frequent than that, is not developmentally appropriate, all right? So um, when, we, when we look at daily hitting, daily physical aggression, daily verbal aggression, uh, all of that is developmentally inappropriate, even if the child is not aggressive verbally or physically in, um, in, in settings outside the home, all right? So now that we have that context, uh, the first piece that you might be struggling with is being able to wrap your head around your, your child's uh, development from, uh, from an age standpoint. If your child is eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and they're yelling at you regularly, you might be wondering whether or not your child is going through puberty. You might be um, uh, assessing this with the pediatrician. The pediatrician might be giving you signs, physical signs of the child going through puberty. And it is so important that you are assessing the frequency, intensity, and duration of these meltdowns and outbursts to determine whether or not your child is displaying developmentally appropriate behavior as well as developmentally appropriate emotional expression. So the behavior, the hitting, kicking, screaming, the yelling, all of that is behavior. The quality of words is emotional expression, right? So if your child is saying life would be better off without me, that is a depth of despair that no child should experience. So we, want, we, we don't want any child experiencing that. That is not developmentally appropriate for any child to experience, let alone um, happening daily or regularly. So uh, this is what I mean by the difference between developmentally appropriate emotional expression compared to the developmentally appropriate behaviors that we're seeing. A child who's yelling on a regular basis is not a child who's emotionally in control. So uh, we would look for that behavior to also be extinguished. Now, in order to do that in a psychologically safe way, right, a way that, that doesn't add despair to your child's experience, you need to be using positive, gentle parenting 
philosophy. However, for sensitive kids, you need to get more strategic than that, especially if this is happening regularly, the meltdown cycle is present in your home, because it is very likely that you as a parent are also feeling torn and frustrated, and you might be yelling when you're at your worst. You might be saying things like, um, I can't handle you, or uh, you might be passing the child off to your spouse or co-parent. I can't deal with this anymore. You do it, right? Um, you might be engaging in fights with your spouse or co-parent at home to, because you guys disagree with how to, how to handle the, the parenting approach. So generally, um, positive parenting, focusing on the child's strengths and communicating to the child that their emotions are acceptable is a broad stroke philosophical approach that we agree with here at MTC. However, what we find to be most discouraging for parents is the understanding of creating safety in the home. And it is not psychologically safe for a sensitive child to be ruining their relationships. So the quality of their words, if there are threats involved, and the quality of their their physical behavior, if there are actual threats of hurting people or um, actions being taken that could be hurtful, right? Smacking people, hitting, throwing, breaking toys and throwing them, all of that threatens the relationship of their loved ones and that doesn't feel good. So for a sensitive kid, this actually compounds the problem and it adds shame, guilt, overwhelm and fosters resentment for the parents at, because you know, if you have another child in the home, they're experiencing this or witnessing this, you're trying double time to help the child who's suffering, your sensitive kid who's emotionally suffering here, and then also keep your other children from suffering in this dynamic, right? So it's a big old spider web to try to solve if you're only working on encouraging your child to feel better, right? Uh, by using tactics like validation or, um, uh, talking about emotions regularly so that your child doesn't feel like they're a scapegoat or that emotions aren't uh, normal, right? That is one part of a complicated puzzle. Uh, the work that we do here at MTC, we break down the steps to break out of the meltdown cycle in eight straight weeks because uh, there's much more to the equation than just helping your child notice that feelings happen in life. Um, that is just one simple part here. Um, and, and, and the other piece is it, that we're going to be highlighting today is your perception of the problem and your personal experience of the problem. Now, when your child is very young, generally as a parent, you have an identity of, of, of feeling like you're in control, right? Um, your child's behavior might be out of control. You might feel inadequate in trying to stop that behavior. However, um, your child isn't likely able to articulate their needs very well, you know, speak it, speak it out clearly. So you have a, a sense of self, your, you know, the way that you speak to yourself in general, you're, you're much more likely able to call up um, with, within yourself and, and the conversation you have to, with yourself that you are in control in this situation and you feel like you can logically encourage yourself doesn't mean that you aren't drained, right? If, so if we have parents of, of younger children listening in just to be prepared for the future um, and, and that's hard for you, I recognize it is hard. We have parents of younger children who work with us for sure. And um, if you're a parent of an older child, you might have tuned into this show uh, or our um, uh, my other shows 
at this time because earlier in your child's age, uh, you likely felt more empowered. You likely felt a general innate sense of um, capability that has started to leave uh, your identity at this point, at this age, given how long it has felt exhausting or hard to parent your sensitive child. And this is a symptom of the meltdown cycle, and it highlights a concept in psychology that we call cognitive dissonance. It's likely a term that you've heard before, but uh, I want to focus on a spin on this topic because it is a, a vast topic of uh, this term. Um, uh, related to parenting a, a teenager or pre a preteen right now, right? You have a, an eight-year-old. This is what we call a latency age where your child is starting to wonder how much independence they have, but um, they're really quite uh, focused on relying on you still and they need to rely on you. And then by the time they hit uh, 10 and 11, they start to prioritize their relationships with their peers over their relationship with their parents. But for sensitive kids, this is actually a much more complicated topic because they still, as sensitive kids, value the collective. And in the home, there is a collective, right? A family dynamic collective. So sensitive kids can actually waffle between highly valuing their parents, their relationship with their parents and demonstrating that compassion and that empathy and that connection to so much so that they might actually exhibit uh, social anxiety, right? Separation anxiety or social anxiety, not wanting to leave the parent's side at this old, old age where we would expect that behavior to be uh, outgrown, right? It's developmentally appropriate for a uh, 15-month-old, 18-month-old, two-year-old, even two and a half, uh, where it starts to get more um, uh, more pointed for, for young children. They should be growing out of separation anxiety at that age. But sensitive children who are stuck in the meltdown cycle are not emotionally experiencing the world at an age that matches their chronological age. In fact, they are experiencing the world at an, an age that is much younger. And so you might have an eight-year-old who is really having a hard time holding it together and, and growing out on their own um, and, and leaving your side uh, or watching you leave and being able to tolerate you take some time for yourself. And as a parent, uh, you can start to feel like you're losing control in this dynamic. And so this, this perception of yourself as someone who has control over your life and you take agency, you might take extreme ownership of uh, different um, uh, relationships you have, uh, different responsibilities you have. You know, no one's coming to save you <laughs> from uh, keeping a health, clean home or from showing up at work or from paying your bills or, or you know, maintaining your friendships, right? It's your job. You recognize this personal internal sense of responsibility for the experiences you have in life. And that's a sense of what we call extreme ownership. And, and uh, there's a, a famous Navy SEAL called, uh, named Jocko Willenick who coined the term. We use that uh, term. A lot of our clients resonate from, from that understanding here at MTC because there are pieces to life that you just have to handle, right? And being a parent, <laughs> that is your responsibility. You do just have to handle it. Um, and no one's coming to save you from it, right? And that's a blessing, but it can feel a lot like a curse if you don't understand how to break out of the meltdown cycle and you're experiencing your child's behavior, you're taking it personally, you're reactive, you're yelling, um, and you don't wanna be, you, you know, perhaps you've been trying to intentionally and consciously parent for a really long time and it just hasn't been matching up, right? And so I wanna make sure that I, I close the loop here. 
this concept of cognitive dissonance prior or in other avenues of your life, you might be feeling like you have a lot of control in how you experience the world and how you interpret the world and how you interpret your roles and responsibilities. However, by the time you get to parenting a sensitive eight-year-old, if your child is still stuck in the meltdown cycle, their behavior changes likely at this age uh, for many of you and they might start becoming more verbally articulate they might start indicating to you their clever intelligence you might start questioning how much influence you have over your child which is where that cognitive dissonance comes in you might start feeling like you have less control over your child's behavior over your child's uh, functioning or their ability to believe that they can function or their sense of resilience because of the way that your child is talking to you, because of the words coming out of your child's mouth. And this is uh, the internal experience that you're having is, is called cognitive dissonance. I used to think, or I globally think that I'm internally responsible for the experiences I have and the way that I interpret my life. And yet, uh, and, and, and I'm responsible for raising my child. And yet my relationship with my child indicates to me that I have very little control. And in fact, my child is telling me that I can't control them. And they're telling me that I don't understand them. They're telling me that I don't, that I don't get it and that I'll never get it. And that I'm never helpful. And in fact, sometimes they're even telling me that I'm the worst mom ever. And sometimes I take that personally and I buy that story. And this is, creates a gap between who I know I am. I am someone who solves problems, who, who fixes problems, who creates solutions out of nothing, who creatively solves uh, difficult situations and typically is successful in life. And yet I'm at home with a child who is struggling and I'm starting to question my identity. And when this is happening at the exact same time that your child is questioning their identity because they're trying to relate themselves to their peers during prepubescence and, and adolescent behavior, we have a perfect storm where no one knows who's right. <laughs> and as a parent, it is your job to lead the show, right? So I'm here to correct and call attention to the reason why you feel so inadequate uh, when your child is starting to articulate their needs and starting to argue their points and demonstrate their clever mind in a different way than they used to when they were little. And sometimes that comes out in uh, criticism of your ability as a, to parent and your ability to relate. And the language, the, the, the approach and criticism of your interventions with your child. So it might be that you're trying to validate and name your child's emotions and your sensitive child yells at you right away. That might be a, a more concrete example of what's going on. And this, when you take it personally, uh, can lead to you questioning whether or not your approach or validation as a tactic is even relevant for your kid or if it quote unquote works, right? Now we see this so often with our parents who come to work with us directly because we have sensitive kids who are very clever around, you know, some early as seven, but definitely around eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, starts to use language because they're smart, right? They're smart and they're building their vocabulary. They start to use language to communicate their needs. However, uh, they start communicating from an intellectual standpoint. They start to use logic to argue their point. And because sensitive kids are very clever, they can be very convincing if a parent of a sensitive kid does not have a hold, a stronghold on their mindset of being an effective parent. Right? So if you've been at this for eight years or 
six years if before your kid was two you didn't really know where you where you know where you were stuck or that you were stuck then it wears on you right it wears on you and you start to eventually question your capacity to parent and in order to reclaim that, you have to be doing significant amount of mindset work. And you have to be not just educating yourself on how your child brain, how your child's brain works and what's going on developmentally for your sensitive kid or, your, or all of your children at this age or all children at this age. You also need to understand the sensitive mind in context of puberty because preteens will start to think that they know better. They might start to argue that they know better. Again, you're raising a clever, smart, intelligent child whose intellectual age might not be um, matching their chronological age either. It might actually be above. They might be demonstrating wise beyond their years intellectual capacity, right? However, as an adult, your job is to raise your child's emotional age up to their chronological age. And you need to build your sense of strategy around that as well as your sense of identity, that you still know what will work for your sensitive kid because your sensitive kid will, um, you know, can really throw you for a loop when you're stuck in this, this, uh, this dynamic. So recognizing that gap, understanding that if you're stuck in this, then you need support to break out of this pattern. You don't just need an understanding of developmentally appropriate behavior. We went through that today. What you need is the ability to lead your child, even if their words are telling you that they know what they're talking about. You have to be able to trust beyond your child's words and understand the words behind your child's words. And that's a skill set. It's a skill set that awesome parents just like you can help their awesome kids tolerate. <laughs> because if you've been trying to uh, teach your child to build emotional insight by validating their emotions and your child is yelling at you for naming emotions, then this means your child isn't tolerating emotional intelligence skills. And that indicates for you a skill set that you need to build. You need to help your child tolerate discomfort. Okay, so we have to actually back up rather than go forward or go to a different skill set. Validation has to be relevant for all children to build emotional intelligence. So it is important for you to surround yourself with people or experts who know how to move through that understanding gap uh, for you as a parent, because if it's impacting your ability to believe that you can change your child's perspective on life and that you can change your child's perspective of themselves, which in turn will change the way that they see the world, the way that they experience the world, the way they explode around the world by decreasing how often they're exploding. Um, if you don't have that skill, then it is something that you need to learn. And if nobody's teaching you that skill, then you definitely need to be getting into a different room, a different conversation, um, and, and listening to someone else. Because one thing that I think is important is that a lot of professionals will try to teach you to react to your child's behavior by teaching you coping skills, thinking that your child, um, just needs to learn how to breathe differently, just needs to learn how to uh, communicate by naming their emotions. And that is actually a much more advanced skill. If your child can't tolerate a conversation about emotions, then we have to slow down in order to speed up. And this is one thing that I find that a lot of professionals gloss over. They think that if you're already talking about emotions and your child is reactive to it, uh, that that just means you need to keep going. 
And this is where a ton of parents stuck in the meltdown cycle get stuck. I just actually spoke to a parent uh, earlier today who heard from the play therapist that they hired and the occupational therapist that they hired and even um, uh, someone who purports themselves to be an expert on what they call uh, deeply feeling children, uh, that they're doing exactly what they need to do. But if the child is balking at those strategies, then there's actually a root missing link. Number one is your trust that you know what you're talking about, right? That cognitive dissonance closing that gap. And number two is the child's ability to tolerate these uncomfortable experiences. And consistency isn't the only thing that will help your child get over it. Your child needs to be able to communicate their needs and you need to understand what emotional age they are at so that you can pace them into communicating more effectively in a much more pointed and specific way, rather than globally just talking about feelings till you're blue in the face, all right? And that will actually continue to backfire if you don't get at the root cause. Now, we know here at, at MTC, the root cause of breaking out of the meltdown cycle is twofold. It is the parent's ability to be resilient and challenge, and the parent's ability to communicate to the child that they are resilient and for the child to trust it and show it. And resilient children do not demonstrate resilience by hearing what they're doing wrong over and over and over again, right? So that's one piece. However, resilient children don't foster resilience if there are no limits or natural consequences to the experience as well. So we can't just pour into our child that they're that, and cheerlead them and champion them without uh, strategic use of natural consequences and communication around the behavior that they're displaying that is not safe. That we ha and, and that has to be done uh, from a place of uh, safety, psychological safety, which means you can't be doing this reactively. You can't be doing this from a shame, um, shame approach by lecturing or punishing your child either. Uh, you have to be twofold, setting limits and parameters around your child's behavior so that you keep a emotionally calm and safe demeanor, which means setting a limit earlier than uh, positive parents might even tell you to uh, when your child is exhibiting unsafe and explosive behavior and getting out ahead of it using proactive strategies like our resilience rewiring protocol where we teach children to expect themselves to be re resilient in the face of challenge by directly teaching parents our, our trademarked strategy. And then lastly, uh, but certainly not least, understanding your um, learning and, and building your understanding of the child's mind and the sensitive mind and how it combines typical development to the sensitive mind where there's an, um, a mismatch in emotional age, chronological age, and likely also intellectual age and building, closing some of those gaps um, and, and closing the, your understanding gap has to happen as well. So those are high level. I told you I would keep this quick. If you want our help to break out of this pattern, then it is so important that you book a call with our team because it does take strategic intervention to move out of this uh, and, and to do that sustainably without spinning your wheels or taking years and years and hoping that it shakes out. Uh, if you want our help to do that so that you can thrive and trust that your child trusts that they are also thriving. And in those conversations, uh, we will have a clear look at where you're struggling 
what your child is struggling with, where you're struggling to lead them, and then also what your goals are. Where, what's your outcome, right? What are, what are you hoping to achieve as you raise your child and how fast you want to accomplish that? And if uh, speed, efficiency, and psychological safety are all part of uh, your family's goals, then I encourage you to, uh, to, to consider working with us directly. And we'll talk about that if that's the case. Uh, and if, if your family's needs is a match to the work that we do in our specialty. If it's not, on that very same phone call, we will refer you to a differently appropriate resource, whether that be a resource you need to digest before you work with us or instead of working with us and we'll send you in that direction all right and uh, we look forward to speaking with you soon bye now thank you for joining me on this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja we release a brand new episode every week so be sure to click subscribe if you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at mtc here's what i want you to do next Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.